Welcome to the She Plays on Women's Football podcast. I'm your host Harry Chan. This week we return with our Crash Horse segment in focus, where we talk about the EPL's plan to take over WSL from the Football Association and the potential effects this move will have. Ultimately, we think the consideration is this: if the WSL and Championship women's football in general isn't strong enough. The FA should keep control and continue to develop the league to make it powerful enough to fight for its clubs, its players, its coaches before selling it off or giving it off to other organisations like the Premier League or whatnot. On the other hand, though, when women's football, with the WSL, with the Championship, when they're strong enough, then why does it need the EPL to take over in running the league? But first, some news from this week. The Football Association has announced the latest round of coronavirus testing for the WSL and Women's Championship, producing no positive results. That follows one positive result being returned from 802 tests conducted across the previous eight days. A total of 1,194 tests were carried out at clubs between Sunday, July 12th. On Sunday, July nineteenth, some top English women's teams have resumed training for the first time since March, with preparations underway for the new season. WSL sides are said to have the new campaign on the fifth and sixth of September, having been out of action since March's lockdown in the United Kingdom. A group based in LA, funded by famous women including Serena Williams. Will launch their own women's team in time for the 2022 National Women's Soccer League season. Williams will be joined by several other high-profile women, including Oscar-winning actress Natalie Portman. The group team name and home venue are yet to be decided, but the ownership group has called itself Angel City. There is currently no California-based team in the NWSL, with NWSL Commissioner Lisa Bird saying that the league has. Quote, long sought an LA-based team, which already has a massive interest in women's football. Champions Chelsea has picked up the top two honors at the FAWSL Awards. Emma Hayes was named Manager of the Season, while striker Beth England won Player of the Season. England hit 14 goals in 15 appearances, while Hayes oversaw an undefeated campaign as the Blues won the league. Arsenal striker Vivian Bidema won the Golden Boot for her 16 league goals, and Manchester City goalkeeper Ellie Roebuck the Golden Glove. Ellie Roebuck kept 10 clean sheets for City, who finished second on a points per game formula when the WSL season was brought to an early conclusion by the coronavirus pandemic. Glasgow City has hailed their latest addition, South Africa captain Jane van Vijk. As one of the biggest ever signings in Scottish women's football, the centre-back is South Africa's record cap holder with 170 appearances and captained her country at their debut Women's World Cup finals last year. Van Wyk founded her own club, JVW, in South Africa eight years ago to help identify and develop women's talents. 
Bristol City captain Lauren Dykes has ended her playing career with the club and taken an assistant coach role. The 32-year-old fullback, who has won more than 100 caps for Wales, joined the club in 2009 and has since made more than 150 appearances for City. In December, Dykes was made an MBE for services to women's football in Wales. Dykes will combine her new role whilst returning to play for her first club, Cardiff City Ladies. Ante Milicic has stepped down from his role as the Australia women's coach because of the delay to the Tokyo Olympics amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Football Federation Australia has announced this on Sunday. Milicic has been contracted to the Matildas until after the Games in Japan, which were originally scheduled for this summer. He agreed in May last year to lead the A-League expansion club MacArthur FC, who are scheduled to join the Australian competition in 2022-21 season. Meanwhile, across the ocean in the USA, Portland Thorns rookie Morgan Weaver scored in the 68th minute to send her team into the semi-finals of the NWSL's Challenge Cup, with a surprising 1-0 victory over the two-time defending league champion North Carolina Courage last Friday. The win was AFC the Portland's first victory at the tournament, and it came with the team's third-string goalkeeper, Britt Eckerstrom, in goal. The top-seeded Courage had won all four of their Challenge Cup games going into the match. The Ballon d'Or will not be awarded in 2020. The award organisers have confirmed the decision comes after consultation with the group stakeholders, who decided that the conditions under which the award is usually handed out cannot be met this year. Welcome back to our Crash Course segment in focus, where we dissect one hot topic in women's football. This week, we have had the news that the Premier League is looking to take over the task of running the WSL from the Football Association. The Premier League has offered English women's football £1 million to help enable the 2022-21 season to restart. Chief Executive Richard Masters has told MPs that investment would help cover coronavirus testing costs at the top end of the game. Masters also told the Department of Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee that he would like the Premier League to take over the running of the WSL, but he said, quote, now isn't the right time. Now we're not sure if the Premier League taking over the WSL will be a good thing, it does mean that it will be run with a better business model perhaps, but it's also concerning seeing how much of a pure business the Premier League has already become. The WSL being run by the FA is beneficial in one sense because it ensures that there is support for clubs, but at the same time, the theory that FA supports women's clubs seems to be flying away. So if the Premier League can promise in some sense that it will support women's club that especially are just promoted. So if the Premier League can ensure that, then maybe this is a good proposal. This week we want to keep it short and concise, so we want to only ask two questions. First, what are the benefits and harms of this takeover? Second, what does the alternative futures look like? Namely, one run by the Football Association, 
and other by the Premier League. The first benefit that's perhaps the most obvious coming to mind would be money. The Premier League could allocate more money they earn from running the men's Premier League. And other deals to help build women's football. The question is, would they actually do this? Our opinion is that it's likely. There's no point going in half-heartedly. Plus, the football association would probably keep a close eye on the EPL. So we think that it is likely, if they do choose to take over, that there would be money going in, given the interest. And oversight from the FA, as said, but second of all, of course, there's also motivation from the, to develop women's football to earn money, which is an investment to revenue, which would be similar in the sense how they invest in the EPL right at the beginning. Except, of course, with women's football, probably this is more of a startup than anything. Now, how would the money help? Increasing the amount of prize money, for example, for all teams at all levels. Where teams would get more money regardless of their position, which is similar to the model in the EPL, which is simply for the winning team. They do not get drastically more money than the bottom team. In the past, there was a report where the top team and the bottom team that is in the Premier League, the difference in earnings or the prize money was merely eighty million pounds, which is still a big sum. But if we look at the Liga in Spain. That's nearly three hundred million pounds. Now, as we have mentioned in our very first episode regarding the financial support in women's football, we have said that it's lacking, and of course, the EPL taking over could be a good source of income for clubs, where more money could mean more transfer fees, the ability to offer attractive wages, better facilities, and all that, which is all in theory, which we'll talk a bit. Later about how the allocation of money may become a problem, but this in reality requires clubs to have separate accounts between the men's team and the women's team, to avoid the money going to the wrong pockets, which is the men's team. Now we、we'll、probably talk more about this in later episodes about how we should separate finances for men's and women's team, but this is something to be considered if. We do consider injecting money to the WSL and other women football leagues. The second thing, of course, would be regarding reputation and connections of the EPL. The Premier League obviously would have an easier time attracting investors due to the brand name of the Premier League. They could package their deals as a lot of companies do to promote women's football. By, for example, selling broadcasting rights or advertisements or advertisement spots on different banners, etc., of the Premier League, the men's Premier League, with women's football, with WSL, for example. But of course, this could lead to women's football being a subsidiary to the EPL, and in a sense, hinder the development of women's football, where there's something called the overshadowing effect. Where the WSL matches become dependent on men's football to gain coverage, where, for example, we may slot them in between games. Now, this is not necessarily a bad thing, but it could be problematic in terms of the messaging effect, and it could limit the potential of women's football 
in attracting its own viewers. That's in the long run. These connections, of course, would also make the WSL stronger in negotiating with other leagues, organizations, and all that because of the Premier League's backing. The biggest problem, probably, would be how to keep the uniqueness and independence of the WSL, which is why we talk about the problematic messaging in the beginning. That is, how would the WSL send out the correct message that it is independent to the Premier League and that it operates with its own models and its own ideas or its own culture. Now, of course, the last benefit or perhaps the last concern is the commercialization of women's football. The signature of the Premier League, of course, is its very good business model and the fact that it earns a lot of money. Whereas in the WSL, we constantly pride ourselves on having players who actually love to game and are to the ground. And I believe that women who were playing football were still working. So it wasn't a full-time career that you could take. So I just played the game because I absolutely loved it. And I felt like that's what every women footballer today who plays, that's why they play the sport, because they love it, not because of, oh my God, look at the money. So. The WSL model, in all honesty, is unsustainable, but the culture is very good. And there's more football than drama, which of course makes it actually unsustainable because of the lack of media centralization. Where, for example, Van Gaal, who used to be Netherlands and Manchester United's manager, said that the media prefers to talk about the fights on training ground rather than a productive training day. Conflicts and drama, of course, on the pitch and off the pitch, boost sales for tabloids and all other medias. Now, as we have said, commercialising women's football would lead to it losing its uniqueness and could become another business, which could make it popular, but for the wrong reasons. And perhaps our biggest concern is that there are still people who are sexist out there who perhaps don't believe in women's football. And with this takeover from the Premier League, it could look more like commercialization is necessary because the WSL or women's football in general failed to develop itself. Now our second question is the future with the Football Association and the future with the Premier League which will be better and perhaps just simply how does it look? First thing first, the Football Association would probably have less money than the Premier League, that's undisputable which means prize money and monetary support and all that would be lower, as we had seen from this pandemic, where the FA failed to support women's football and had to shut down the whole league. But the Football Association is under the government, which means that the public has an indirect influence over women's football and its development. In a way, the Football Association has no business interest, other than maybe to improve the Lionesses, that is, England's women's football team. Given that the FA is under the government, meaning that people can vote, people can use their political power. Given that the FA is under the government, as we have said, it can be influenced politically by the government and by the people, by MPs, etc. So this could be a benefit for improving women's football in the long run. 
On the other hand, the Premier League would shoot women's football right up to the top level, but definitely at some cost. Business decisions may force out clubs that do not earn a lot of profit, as we have discussed in some previous interviews and episodes, for example about Yeovil Town, where they couldn't earn as much money as other teams given their men's team status in the league. And second of all, this could discourage work in progress for women's football, like dual pathway programs, where girls can get work-related education or degrees while playing with the club, which is important in women's football, given the pay situation and the fact that many think football may be unsustainable, which is not completely untrue given the lack of support we have in society. Now, women's football would be flooded with money, and we think that the allocation has to be wise. As mentioned earlier in this segment, most clubs may want to increase the revenue, bring in money for the men's club instead, building, expanding new stadiums, selling more merchandise, etc. etc. instead of perhaps improving support that are necessary for players. For example, pregnancy support, etc. etc. The influx of money may also lead to a false perception that we mentioned earlier, the false messaging effect showing that the support for women's football is sufficient and no work is needed to be done in this department. Now, of course, in reality, we know that in this department, training facilities, sports research and all that may still be lacking. Ultimately, we think the consideration is this. If the WSL and Championship women's football in general isn't strong enough, the FA should keep control and continue to develop the league to make it powerful enough to fight for its clubs, its players, its coaches before selling it off or giving it off to other organisations like the Premier League or whatnot. On the other hand, though, when women's football with the WSL, with the championship, when they're strong enough, then why does it need the EPL to take over in running the league? We think that a better model may be to seek a partnership with the Premier League, seek individual sponsors like Barclays at the moment, and other companies that may want to step up the effort in promoting gender equality, seeing that supporting women's football, women's sports, WSL, the championship and all that, it would be a good project for these companies. Ultimately, we think that giving the WSL to the Premier League to take over, to run it, may not be the best decision for the development of women's football. We agree that it will bring in a lot of money, but ultimately we think that money is not everything to develop the league, to develop women's football and to make it sustainable. We need a stable income of money and to keep the culture of WSL in order for it to thrive on its own and not rely on the Premier League. We'll be back. Support for this show comes from Ballers. They are a new women's football project and they need your help. Sign up to their mailing list and have your say on what content you want to see on their platform. You can sign up on ballers.football, that's B-A-L-L-E-R-S dot football. Sign up to the mailing list so that you can have a say on the content on the platform. In other news, Reading Women have signed striker Daniel Carter and defender Emma Mitchell after they left Arsenal. 
England international Carter departed Gunners in June after 11 years with them. Mitchell spent seven years at Reading's fellow WSL companion Arsenal and has won 62 caps for Scotland. Everton has signed Denmark striker Nicolin Sorensen on a two-year contract. The 22-year-old winger arrives following the end of a deal with Danish side Bronby IF. She was the top striker in Denmark with 16 goals and was recently named as the league's player of the year. Everton women have also signed Denmark defender Ricky Sevek on a two-year deal. The 24-year-old moves to the Merseyside after her contract with French club FC Fleury 91 came to an end. Toffee boss Willie Kirk said that he quote tracked her closely in her one season in France. Manchester United women have signed Germany under-19 forward Ivana Fuso on a two-year deal. The 19-year-old joins Casey Stoney's side after leaving Swiss club FC Basel. Fuso, who previously played for SC Freiburg in Germany, has a further 12-month option on her United contract. Also at Manchester United, fullback Martha Harris has signed a new one-year contract with the Red Devils, with the option to extend a further year. The 25-year-old has been with the club since they reformed in 2018. The club has also activated options in the contracts of young goalkeeper Fran Bentley and Scotland defender Kirsty Smith to keep them at the club for the 20-21 campaign. On the other hand, Sopan Chamberlain has agreed to leave Manchester United Women by mutual consent and cancelled her contract. Goalkeeper Chamberlain, who is 36, says she will take time to consider her next career move after giving birth to daughter Amelia in January. Chamberlain made 27 appearances for United and helped the club win the FA Women's Championship in 2019. Reading has signed centre-back Diana Cooper after her deal at WSL champion Chelsea expired. The 27-year-old made 29 appearances in three years at Chelsea, helping them win the WSL Spring Series in 2017. Cooper missed most of the 27-18 campaign, however, with a knee injury, but scored against Reading in December. Reading has also given a new contract to captain and Wales winger Tash Harding, as well as young defenders Kira Stegius and Lily Woodham. Brighton and Hovalbian women have signed midfielder Inissa Cateman to a one-year contract after her contract at Everton expired. The former Ajax youngster has been capped six times at senior level by Netherlands. Brighton and Hove Albion women has signed AC Milan midfielder Nora Harum on a one-year contract. The 25-year-old Finland international, who has 70 caps, is Seagull Sports Hope Powell's third signing of the summer. Newly promoted Aston Villa has signed Portugal forward Diana Silva from Sporting Lisbon. She has won 58 international caps and was in the Portugal team that lost 2-1 to England at Euro 2017. The 25-year-old follows Birmingham City's Chloe Arthur and Chelsea's Anita Asante in moving to Villa, who won promotion to the WSL last season. West Ham United women have signed Katarina Zvitkova from Slavia Prague. Czech Republic international forward Zvitkova has been capped 31 times by her country at senior level. 
her seven years at Slavia Prague saw her help the club to five league titles and two domestic cups. West Ham have also signed French defender Hawa Sissoko on an undisclosed length deal. The former PSG youngster arrives from French club ASJ Soyox. Here's what else you need to know this week. One of London's leading private equity firm has approached the FA about buying a large stake in the WSL. Sky News has learned that Bridgepoint, the long-standing owner of the rights to stage the global MotoGP series, has tabled a proposal that would see the WSL become the latest elite sporting competition to sell a stake to financial investors. Sources said this weekend that Bridgepoint had approached the FA with an offer to buy a large minority stake in a new company that would own the WSL's commercial rights. That's it for our show this week. If you liked the podcast, remember to rate, subscribe and share it with your friends and family. We'll be back next week. Thank you again for listening. I'm Harry Chan and this is the She Plays On Women's Football Podcast.